Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. Let's talk about games for a second. Some teachers are using experience points to track performance instead of letter grades. Playing Tetris has been shown to reduce symptoms of PTSD. If you want to get engaged with movements in the gaming landscape, check out Plus 7 Intelligence, the podcast about how games impact people. You can subscribe to Plus 7 Intelligence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Season 2, available now. Welcome to the Podglomerate. Ways you can think about it is this is a character-driven epic fantasy drama with swordplay, betrayal, loyalty, uh, people torn between what they think is right, who they love, and what they believe they have to do. Welcome to Writers Who Are Right. I'm Jeff. And I am Kyle. And Kyle, what, what is this show about? I think we always forget to mention that. It's a show about writers and the stories they struggle to tell. Although I guess we, we've sort of broadened that over the course of the show. We don't necessarily just talk to writers, but we do tend to focus well, on Well, I think the, the broadening is, is more that we've learned that everybody is a writer. It doesn't matter really what you do. Well, and also some people have said no, and we've been forced to fill the schedule. But that's neither here nor there. That's correct. So, so who's on the show this week? This week on the show, we have a slightly different format for you. We are interviewing the writers behind Born to the Blade, which is the newest serial from Serial Box. And Jeff, since you love it so much, why don't you tell us all about it? This week on the show, we speak to Michael Underwood, Cassandra Ka, and Marie Brennan, who are three of the four authors involved in Serial Box's new Born to the Blade series. Uh, the fourth author is Malka Older, and she couldn't make it. Serial Box is a really cool, unique company that uh, I, I work with a little bit on the publicity side of things, full disclosure. Um, and they've advertised on the show before, also full disclosure. But uh, basically, they will deliver ebook and audiobook bundles to your phone or your account on the website once a week based on the serials that you've subscribed to. Uh, it's, it's super cool how they uh, how the app works and how they deliver the audio in particular with this immersive sound environment. And Porn to the Blade is their first epic fantasy. Uh, they have a bunch of other stuff on there too, which you should all check out at serialbox.com. But in the meantime, we talked to the authors behind Porn to the Blade uh, because this is like definitely up Kyle and I's alley and we really love talking to them about the collaborative writing process, what it was like writing for Serialbox in particular. Uh, how this kind of like mimicked video games and role-playing games and what is like, you know, just building this world from scratch. So let's get to it. So today on the show, we have Marie Brennan, Mike Underwood, and Cassandra Ka. Uh, how are all three of you? Doing good. Dying from a crunch at the day job, but aside from that, I'm great. Crunch is very scary, so thank you for making time. And, uh, you know, that, that goes for me as well. Thank you all for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, we uh, had you on the show because the three of you and Malka Older just released a new project with Cereal Box, 
which uh, some of our listeners might remember um, from advertisements that we've had earlier on the show. But it is a serialized fiction platform, uh, both ebooks and audiobooks, delivered to your devices or your computers once a week. Uh, and it is kind of like a new way to experience uh, genre fiction, literature, nonfiction. Um, is that how you all would describe it? Or is there kind of uh, like a better elevator pitch that you've discovered? Uh, Julian Yap, who's the co-founder, kind of pitches or the one of the pitches for Serial Box that I see very frequently is HBO for readers. And it started or Julian's side of it started when he was working a lot uh, for the Obama administration and like law, legal counsel. And he could keep up with TV, but not reading, as he describes it and that he wanted to reconnect with reading and serial fiction was the idea that kind of came out of that. So that is one of the things that I hold on to, the idea that it's fiction that meets a lot of readers where they have time and in habits that maybe they've already developed watching TV. Yeah, I think that's very apt. It has very much the feel to me of of kind of that cable drama approach to storytelling where there's a distinct arc to the season. Like it, it's not random that we refer to these as seasons, but then it's divided up into segments, episodes that each deliver kind of their own satisfying arc within that rather than it just being, I've taken this larger story and chopped it into chapters, which, you know, even in a novel, chapters aren't arbitrary, but there's a different shape to an episode rather than a chapter out of a longer book. There is also the fact that every episode feels like it ends on a, what, why are you stopping there? I would need to hear more, <laughs> which seems very accurate to the idea of Netflix and the whole keep you hooked so you look check in for the next episode kind of thing. Yeah. It's very addictive. So these cliffhangers, are, are they, you know, kind of things that you plan out ahead of time? Uh, you know, are you all sitting there like on the phone with one another trying to figure out how you can structure the season? Um, and then also, you know, how did this particular team come about? Well, I guess we can start with the, the cliffhanger thing. I think in some ways, though some of the episodes end on cliffhangers, I wouldn't use that term generally because not all of them are on the, oh my god, what's going to happen next? Some of them, the the effect at the end is more like the resolution of a particular thing rather than deliberately leaving it hanging. And I think kind of the way to think about it is that each episode, um, I think we might have even referenced yeah. Seinfeld when we were talking about this at the beginning, <laughs> that you can talk about each episode as the one where X happens. And so I think they're almost more defined by what's at the center of the episode rather than what's at the end of it. But was there that sort of pressure? So in, in terms of writing serialized fiction versus writing something like a novel, was there any pressure to readjust the, the storyline or the narrative to fit within that idea of one event or one cornerstone per episode? It was definitely part of the conversation because we wanted to have a center of gravity for every episode. And I remember thinking and, and talking specifically about, okay, we need a good hook, at, at least at the end of the very first episode. With the other ones, maybe not as much, but I'll pass it back over to Cassandra. I don't think it was necessarily that pressure, like Michael said, um, just for some of them. But I think there was definitely a sense of momentum as things kind of built up. The earlier episodes were a lot of scene setting and building up the fact that this was a second world fantasy. And... 
I guess what I interpreted as cliffhangers in my head were really just the sense that I really wanted to see what my fellow writers were going to do in the next episode. I was getting personally excited because the stakes were just increasing constantly. Yeah, it was a lot of um, arcs within arcs because we we worked together, like all four writers plus our producer, Julian, in the same physical space over a weekend. That was our writer's summit. That was the most, that, that chunk of time was the most like a TV writer's room because we were all present together and breaking stories in that model, kind of using some of the tools of television writing that Julian shared that he'd picked up over the course of how serial boxes develop their process. And we had season arcs for most of the characters and we had pl- the kind of the capital P plot arcs. And most of them are very f- powerfully intertwined because these characters are movers and shakers. So when there's a big plot arc, at least one of the characters is really involved in making that arc go or trying to resist it. So in any given episode, you might have like a strong movement forward in a character arc, even if there isn't some big explosive action or some big declaration within the political structure, there is a strong ending beat in most of these episodes that gives you a sense of propulsion that Cassandra talked about. Though, to be fair, we do have a a fair dose of action, since this is a setting where people settle some of their political disputes by hitting each other with sharp pieces of metal. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely do not want to undersell the the magic sword fighting element. There is a lot of it, and it's cool. Well, it seems like this the, the way that this structure is designed might present a specific challenge to the person tasked with writing the first uh the first episode. And I'm thinking particularly in terms of when it comes to fantasy, uh when it comes to series like this, there's a lot of weight placed on the world building. So how did you guys deal with sort of placing that pressure on the shoulders of one author when there are four of you? Well, I Kind of, I raised my hand to to write it because I'd also, Born of the Blade had two lives before it was a serial box project. the The life that it had immediately before was as a a solo pitch that I was developing but hadn't moved forward with, and before that, it was a YA fantasy uh, that was uh, kind of codenamed Metaphysical Fencing Academy. Um, where the characters were younger and it was a different, a very different premise. So I'd worked on versions of this already, and I developed the series Bible, and we did all the um, all the summit work. And I was happy to take the challenge of kind of breaking ground with the series, applying all the time and effort that I put into this world already, shaped and informed by the input from everybody in the team. And then there was a lot of feedback. We had an extra round of editorial development for the pilot. And then a cool, or what I think is now a cool element of the pilot, the prologue came in even later in the process. So we went back through and through and through the pilot quite a number of times so that it would most effectively set the tone for the series that I hope was useful and informative to the other writers in terms of, okay, if we're agreeing on what this is, what the series is going to be like, then this is what we go forward with. I do agree that there's a particular challenge 
I think maybe trying to do any sort of serialized project like this within a secondary world fantasy. And I think you see this at work also with like the first episode of Game of Thrones, where I imagine they had an even harder time of it because TV's not very good at doing exposition in the way that prose narrative can do. But yeah, trying to present... Like, who are the characters? What are their personalities? What are their conflicts? What's going on with the plot? And at the same time, we have to introduce the reader to the entire world, which, you know, because it is this kind of sky world, it's everybody lives on these floating islands, and they do magic with swords. A lot of the assumptions readers come in with, they can't necessarily rest on those. So how do you get all of the exposition and all of the characterization and all of the action and all of the plot into the first episode? I was just as happy to go, okay, Mike, this was your idea to begin with. You take that first one. <laughs> so I think it would actually be helpful for our listeners if, if one of you would uh, do us the pleasure of explaining kind of like what the series is about. I think Mike is most equipped for that. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. So there's a bunch of different ways to pitch because I have a sales background. So, you know, we could do a whole 30 minute episode just on that. But ways you can think about it is this is a character driven epic fantasy drama with swordplay, betrayal, loyalty, uh, people torn between what they think is right who they love, and what they believe they have to do. It's magic sword sword fights where magic is achieved by drawing edged metal through the air in specific patterns called sigils. And the whole story moves around this place called the Warder's Circle, which is a group of duelist diplomats that have agreed to represent their nation in kind of political matters, large and small, and they try to talk through things, but when they can't agree, they have these ritualized magical duels in order to settle points. And at the beginning of the series, we have two new people coming to the warder circle. One is a junior warder, one trying to get support to bid to become a warder on behalf of their nation. And there's a bunch of other political stuff that's going on. And so uh, in terms of touchstones, we pitch it as Avatar The Last Airbender meets the West Wing uh, and Babylon 5 with magic sword fights. Yes. All of those things are things that I would be interested in separately. And the <laughs> fact you. that you've combined is just, yes, it is an enjoyable synergy. I love, I love, I'm a huge fan of Avatar The Last Airbender and I love seeing any reference to it outside of that world that is not yeah, we, we don't talk <laughs> how the terrible movie. the movie became. I never saw it. <laughs> it doesn't exist, right? Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, so like so anything. the way that you all like sat down and came up with this storyline strikes me as very similar to you know Dungeons and Dragons or online role playing. And uh, I mean, did you kind of feel that? It, was there any element of that, or is it very different because you're actually sitting there and you know these ideas that you're conceiving have had to get onto you know a piece of paper. The big difference, I would say, is that in a role-playing game, which both Mike and I, I know, do a lot of, you have your specific character, and that's the lens through which you are experiencing the story. That's the lever that you push on to make story happen. Whereas with this, we didn't have our own individual characters. It's not like, oh, you know, Ojo was Mike's character and, you know, Chris was Malka's or anything like that. We shared it all equally in a way that isn't true of role-playing games. I actually think it was a lot more structured than D&D. Um, in general, when I do my work, I'm very much a pantser and like very driven <laughs> by the idea of audiovisuals in my head and seeing Marie and Malka and Michael break it down. It felt almost like mathematics. Mm. 
Yeah. Like everything was broken out, thought up very carefully. Characters were balanced, their motivations, their desires, their conflicts. It was really cool. And very different from D&D. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I'm, I don't normally outline that much. And so having to figure out where the entire story was going and most of how it was getting there, that was very different for me. And, and yeah, thinking of it almost mathematically, that is how it feels in my head, especially with dividing everything up into, okay, what's happening in this episode? Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. And so the way that I'm understanding the summit as you, you've described it is you guys got together over the course of a single weekend and wrote everything or you got together? No. How, yeah, how did that work <laughs> out? Uh, can you explain that, that the concept of the summit to us? We, we thought of like it was the basic structure and the episodes and the characters and going back and forth on that and just breaking it into smaller and smaller sections and exploring the nuances over and over again and how they correlate with everything else. God, it sounds like a science when I put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not very scientific. It was a lot messier than the the explanation makes it sound. But yes, we started off with discussing a bunch of stuff about the world and the characters, what the characters were like, what they wanted and so forth. And then yeah, figuring out the overall arc of the season. And then I think it's fair to say that you could kind of divide the season into sort of rough thirds, uh, with each one kind of having its own internal arc and then dividing those into the individual episodes and saying, okay, what's going on with each character, each major character? Uh, in this episode. Um, so it was basically the the process of iterating over and over again until we had kind of a detailed outline and story Bible, and then taking those. And uh, after the summit, I think we each did individual outlines for our episodes, discussed those, and then went and wrote the episodes themselves. And you all, you know, had a lot of conversation over Slack and email as well, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also phone calls, because yeah, those frankly the, go faster. One of the things that we <laughs> had to kind of wrestle with was that even with a lot of world building and talking about the different nations and their cultures, once you get into the page and paragraph writing, there's so much more, especially in the way that we want to tell the story, there's so much textural world building. What are the clothes like from these different places? What are the what's the folklore and custom around food and how you eat and what happens when you're eating? Um, how is hair? Like, is there politics around hair? There's so much that when you have difference, you are probably wise to attend to it. And especially if you're not trying to pull whole cloth from specific uh, historical periods. Like, we didn't want to write a pseudo-Europe, even though there are specific touchstones that we're drawing from and some of the swordplay comes from kind of late medieval and Renaissance Europe. It was a lot of civilizations that we were trying to uh, put together and depict in a way that they all felt real. So there was a lot of extra world building that we did together on the Slack and on the different calls. Um, and you know, Marie did a lot of 
putting pulling everything together and putting together some reference documents so that we had a more consistent um, set of details about all these different um, nations and the, the relevant world building stuff. And that made it way easier it was a particular concern for me because my background is in anthropology. Um, and so I, I think on that level a lot when I am telling stories and because you know we only had one weekend to work out the outline and so forth. And then we go off and write our episodes and we would be writing like three or four episodes simultaneously before we moved on to the next chunk. It happened, I think more than once that two different people would be writing along and they'd hit something and go, oh, I need to decide what kind of food they eat usually in Kulo. And we would make something up and then look at each other's and go, oh, we made up two different answers to the same question. Now we need to decide which of those we're keeping. Yeah. And I think the ruling body of Vanya got three or four different names <laughs> yeah. in, in, rough, in rough drafts before we consolidated. And there were times where like you would revise to match what I had said. And in the meanwhile, I revised to match what you had said. So we swapped places and <laughs> still didn't have a consistent answer. It, it, it strikes me that each of your backgrounds uh, kind of influenced the direction that the story took. Um, you know, I know that... Uh, you know, some of you have stronger world building backgrounds, whereas others have, uh, you know, stronger cultural backgrounds. Um, is this something that, you know, kind of helped you choose the team that you had? Uh, and I, I hate to, you know, like put people in buckets or anything, which is not what I'm trying to do. But uh, I mean, everybody has different, you know, lived experiences, which probably yeah, when helps I, with the story when in I hand. was talking with the folks at Serial Box and decided that we were going to move forward, you know, it was me as the series creator, and then I was going to be a lead writer. And both the Searbox folks and I were very much on board with, we want to cast this series as inclusively as we can, uh, in order to have a broader range of perspectives. And because there are so many amazing writers from underrepresented backgrounds um, within the genre, and because like, I'm a straight white guy, so... Like I rep like I'm coming to the series speaking from vastly overrepresented perspectives. So I didn't want to compound that by not having the rest of the team be as inclusively cast as possible. And everybody that was on the list were people who I was very impressed by their writing and or uh, they were coming from different perspectives as writers than I was. And that strength comes from their different perspective. There are the ways that Malka approaches writing about like physical places and how people are in them and the way that populations move that I could never think through because I do not have the background that Malka does with her experience. So everybody brought a lot of different things to the series. And everybody surprised me in different ways on different projects. When Cass turned in the first draft of episode three, there is just this amazing verbal melee between a lot of the main characters that was such a delight. And I don't really remember being specifically in the outline, but I was just so, <laughs> uh, I was so geeking out over the thing that like I partially created just as an audience member in awe of what Cass had done. And I had moments like that for everybody in the series. Were there any sort of reckoning moments where as the person who had been pitching this idea all over the place, uh, you built the series Bible. Were there any points where you felt the story start to evolve in directions that you didn't really, that you hadn't thought of initially? Oh, for sure. Uh, a lot of, uh, 
several characters changed in a big way just at the summit, and then things kept changing from there. Yeah, I mean, you you had kind of an outline for the season as a whole that we read before we came in, and I, you know, it's still recognizable as the same heart of the story in a lot of ways, but I know that we we changed a huge number of things in that kind of starting document that you had provided. The the great strength of something like this is, you know, we did a lot of coordinating with each other to make sure that we were telling a coherent story, but what we didn't aim for, and I think this might be where the cereal box thing differs from TV, we didn't try to get a homogenous feel to the whole series. It doesn't feel like, oh, you could you know, in, in a blind taste test, you wouldn't be able to tell who had written which episode. I think you absolutely can tell. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Is there an advantage to that? What makes that, what uh, holds that above the alternative, which is trying to make it something that is homogenous uh, or a blend of all four of you? Let's say there's a degree of blending that does go on, but the advantage of not trying to smooth out all the differences is that each author has the opportunity to play to their strengths. And so you get things like that, that kind of verbal, uh, not exactly a duel that Mike mentioned, where, yeah, I remember reading the same thing and just sort of cackling to myself and thinking, I could have written this scene, it would have been a different version of the scene, and I don't think mine would have been as good. So, (laughs) you know, whereas I volunteered to write one of the episodes that I knew was going to have a lot of the dueling in it, because I I love fight scenes. I was a combat choreographer for theater in college. I wrote an ebook on how to write fight scenes. Like, this is one of the things I really enjoy. Yeah, and I think the series is like like folks have said the series is stronger because of it. And like, okay, like th- I'm going to tackle this first episode because I've spent so much time in this world and I'm, it's going to reflect everybody's buy-in, but it's still an individual voice. And what I'm hoping is that readers if they're getting excited about the series as the series goes on even within the first season, they will start to uh, anticipate what they may get out of any individual episode based on who is writing it, uh, because they they'll be able to see, oh, okay, well, this is how Cassandra approaches the way that these characters interact and the the type of description that goes into a scene. You know, here's how Marie writes a fight scene versus here's how Mike writes a fight scene. So you're getting people who have like two people who have episodes that are very fight heavy, but it's going to feel different. In a lot of the TV shows that I have loved you know very passionately there is a degree to which individual writers are allowed to kind of have their specialties you know i think back to liking really liking buffy the vampire slayer and knowing oh this is a marty Knoxon episode and i'm hoping that readers will feel that too yeah, I don't want to overstate the extent to which TV does homogenize stuff. I think maybe the differences between writers are less visible in TV because in terms of the words, you're only getting the dialogue, whereas for us, it's all of the description and the interior thoughts of the characters. And so I think it's easier to spot where the the individual writer's touch is coming through. It's the opportunity to be surprised more often by the story and go, oh, I never would have thought of that, but that's so much better than what I thought of. Yeah, when, I, when I'm doing stuff myself... Like I will ask myself questions and I will push myself, but it usually takes time and revision passes. When we're working in a group, we're able to say, okay, uh, option one, option two, option three, option four, and then chat about them and say, well, what if we combine one and three, but then add option like Zeta, which is this other thing coming from a totally different direction. Like that iterative process I felt happens so much more rapidly. And I think it's stronger because of it. 
It does, yeah. And we mentioned role-playing games before. This is where I do feel a similarity between this kind of collaborative writing and something like D&D. It's those moments where somebody comes up with something, and I, I'm thinking of a particular game instance that I participated in, and I won't go into the anecdote, but somebody had their character do a thing. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's the worst idea ever. You're going to make this all worse. And then I saw where they were going with it and went, oh, no, no, that's really elegant. That's a great solution. <laughs> So I, all, all four of you, uh, you know, and, and Malka, the three of you and Malka have uh, written for different platforms, you know, books, video games, uh, you know, role-playing games, and, and even things like social media. Uh, how have you found the Serial Box experience in comparison to, you know, kind of the other platforms and styles of writing that you've been involved in? Well, I've been uh, doing probably the most similar thing I've done is some freelance writing for the game Legend of the Five Rings, uh, which is both a card game and a role-playing game. And L5R is kind of known in that corner of the world for having this really strong narrative that runs alongside it, which is written by uh, employees of the company or, or freelancers. And that's been similar because I'm telling a story with other people, though in this case, it's more like a mosaic rather than one continuous thing. It's I tell a little story over here, somebody else tells a little story over there, and they gradually build up a larger picture. Uh, what they share in common is a lot of need to coordinate and make sure that details match up. And probably one of the most difficult things for me is to make sure I hit a specific word count, because I'm used to, I write a short story and it's whatever length it turns out to be, and then I you know, send it to magazines and anthologies, or I write a novel, and if I overrun by 10,000 words, eh, you know, whatever, it's 10,000 words. Whereas for both L5R and Serial Box, it's been a much more narrow, you need to come in in this range of words and fit in all the story bits you've been handed, go. So I think that now uh, is the time, the point in the show where we usually ask our guests about the one story they always struggle to tell. Uh, I think in this instance, um, I mean, I know this only really applies to the people that are a part of this particular project, but I'm wondering, you know, we've talked about all of the benefits that have come from writing serialized fiction as a team, but I'm wondering, uh, you know, if there are any uh, kind of like roadblocks that you all ran into um, using that same approach. Uh, the one that I would probably mention, and this is something that does bug me in my individual fiction as well, it just gets magnified when there's more people involved, is working out the timing of the events. How much time has passed between different parts of the story? And I know we actually tied ourselves in knots about that for a little while because we came up with the, the feel of the story and then had to go, wait, how many days have passed here? Is that enough time for this to have taken place? <laughs> but wait, if we take more time, then this thing is dragging on for too long. And this, like I said, this happens with all of the novels that I write. It's just writ large when you're trying to coordinate between a bunch of different people exactly how much time has gone by. Yeah, there there may or may not have been three or four different versions of a timeline about a thing that happens in the middle of the season that went through and got revisions on the Slack uh, with people giving ideas and suggestions and wait, could that take that long? Or that's unrealistic. What what if it's this thing instead? Or do, does it work if we have a different character do that instead? Yeah. Like think literally like events got handed off to different characters in an attempt to sort out our timeline. <laughs> yeah, because that also got the thing I'm thinking of got tied up with here's this major subplot in the back half of the season that was only kind of sketched out. And as folks got into the weeds of it, 
we had to really loop around several times to sort out the plot, make sure that the beats were assigned into the right episodes so that everything flowed really effectively. Thank you all so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having us. That was a lot of fun to do. This has been a production of Writers Who Don't Write, proud member of the Podglomerate Network. You can find us online at thepodglomerate.com or at www.podcast.com. Our guests on the show this week, who we thank very much, were Michael Underwood, who you can find online at michaelrunderwood.com, Marie Brennan, who you can find online at swantower.com, and Cassandra Ka, who I don't believe has a website, and you can find online at Cass, C-A-S-S, Ka, K-H-A-W, on Twitter. Uh, we also want to thank Malka Older, who couldn't make it to the show this week, uh, but she's also a great uh, part of the team. You can find Box online at Cerebox.com. Uh, the first episode of Born to the Blade is free, so I recommend you all go check it out. You can get it on ebook and or audiobook. Uh, it's also available on all third-party retailers like Amazon, Kindle, uh, iBooks. We want to thank Ryan Dan for the music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the hour. You can find him online at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. He has a new album coming out soon, so you should definitely check it out and sign up for his newsletter and on social media. Uh, we also want to thank Ben Sound, who you heard in the middle of the show. You can find him online at bensound.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another guest. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.